You're listening to Lead Through Values, where America's Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, helps you create a high-performance workplace by building strong leaders, enhancing communication, and accelerating productivity. And now, here's your host, James Mayhew. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Leads You Values. This is James, and I just want to take a second and thank you for being here today. You know, I'm committed to making this podcast the place to be for tips, strategies, and how-tos for creating a high-performance workplace where you have exceptional people doing exceptional work on the most significant assignments. And today, I want to talk with you about the word drift. So here in the Midwest, we have snow drifts in the winter, and they can be both beautiful but dangerous out on the roads. Now, if you're into motorsports and racing, especially the virtual type, well, the word drift means something different. It's exciting and it's fun as you create a controlled high-speed slide around corners. But what happens when drift occurs in your business? And I'm specifically talking about culture drift. Well, that's the topic for today's episode, so let's get started. So let's talk about the impact that culture actually has on helping you reach your objectives and goals. It's either helping you do it or it's not helping you do it. Your organizational culture, it's a set of shared beliefs, attitudes, behaviors, and they either are enhancing how you get work done or those attitudes, beliefs, behaviors are getting in the way of how work gets done. See, don't miss this. Your culture exists whether you're paying attention to it or not. And just because you've done a workshop or or two about culture and you've got your core values on the wall, you're not going to have results from that. See, those things aren't ensuring what we're working toward, which is to get your employees doing exceptional work on the most significant things. So culture can't be something that you just discuss in meetings And it's not something that you create because you have potlucks in the summer and team building games and food truck Fridays or because you created a a new game room with foosball and air hockey and table tennis. Hey, don't get me wrong. Those are not bad things, but they could be bad things when they take priority over improving working conditions for your employees, doing things like replacing slow and outdated computers or addressing quality or safety issues or having purposeful meetings, not just meetings, but purposeful meetings. So employees actually know where they stand. We have to remember that culture is something that you do daily. And I'm placing emphasis on the word do. It is actionable. So it's things like how you serve your customers, how you help employees grow, how you make strategic decisions, how you develop products and go to market, how you attract, hire, and retain people. Those are all outcomes. Those are all the important things that culture does. You could look at it this way. Your culture sets the expectations for everything you do in business. Now, how many of you have a statement on your company's website or in your job postings that states something to the effect of, hey, we pride ourselves in consistently delivering outstanding customer service? It's common. Uh, 
What you may not realize, though, in a common statement like that is just how lofty it is. It's big. Because you're really setting the bar high when you use words as consistently and outstanding. Now, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't use those words, but what I am suggesting is that a culture that supports those words is also a company that makes that a reality instead of it just being a good intention. That means you and everyone in the company understands what it takes to deliver consistent and outstanding experience. And in order to do that, you have to define it, you have to communicate it, and you have to constantly teach those behaviors that lead to that desired outcome. And this is the point where most culture initiatives actually fail. See, the behaviors and the actions aren't clearly defined, and that means people have to interpret what it means to be consistently outstanding. Now, I think if we were to ask the question right now, if we had the ability to to get all of your input, the first thing is we'd all just kind of agree, hey, we get it. You know, we know what it means to be consistently outstanding. But if we did individual responses, here's what we'd find up. We'd get a wide variety of different responses. We could maybe see some pattern to it. Some of us might might define it similarly. We might say, well, it it means we return calls within 24 hours, no exceptions. But others might say, we return calls promptly. So let me ask you a question. Is that the same or is that actually open to interpretation then? I do a workshop on active listening. And after a break, as people are returning to their seats, I do this fun little activity around quantifying words. So I just ask everyone to write a number for each of these words. So they go to their handout and they write a number for some, many, few, several, couple, a lot. And it's a great activity because we go around the room one by one and we, I ask, I just say, okay, what was your number for some? And we see what number people assign to those words. It's fun, and it always generates some some laugh and uh, uh, maybe some some nice little ribbing. Uh, but here, here's what you'll get: you'll get people use a range like three to five, while others use a single number. Some people try to put a unit to it, like a percentage. But I, I think it's funniest, and it tends to get a little silly in the room when someone says the number five for the word couple, and we we laugh at them. Now, I mean, we laugh with them. We laugh, <laughs> we laugh with them <laughs> because most people are going to use the number two for the word couple, but inevitably somebody doesn't and it's fun. But a word like some, let's just take the word some, it can have a wide range. I've seen it go from five or uh, maybe all the way up to 25, right? It's been a weird wide range on that one. And I just share with them that every time I use the word few, I literally mean three. In fact, I should just say three. Because what I've found is that some people don't quantify the word few the same as I do. They use a number like two or five or eight or 10 and so on. So if my manager says, James, please don't spend more than a few hours on this project. Guess what? That means three. I'll give myself three hours. But what if she was thinking, her value for a few was seven. 
there would be a gap of expectations there. There would be a gap of uh, what I delivered. You know, and that's a really great example of how easy it is for miscommunication to cause culture drift or to have like really what I'm saying here is we need to understand the interpretation when we leave things without clarity. When we aren't specific, it will lead to interpretation and those outcomes from those interpretations, this is where those expectations get missed. That is an example of culture drift. Let me give you another example here. Uh, let's say we're in a sales environment and we define, we'll use the same one, outstanding service. So we, we might define outstanding service as building a solid relationship with a customer. And that for me, I would say, Hey, that's when I know the employees names. I, I know what they're working toward and maybe some of their business concerns to me, that would be good stuff to know. However, somebody else might approach it. Let's say the sales manager approach approaches, uh, their definition for outstanding services as actually visiting 25% more accounts than I am. In other words, their opinion is that outstanding service also includes quantity as well as being quick and unobtrusive. In other words, get in and out. See, so both of us could be right, but they're going to lead to very different expectations and probably some pretty different outcomes. Now, we could debate and argue and discuss that. That'd be fun to do in a panel. But the point of it is, is if you aren't defining and clearly communicating expectations, it is impossible. And I'll even say it this way. It's unethical to hold people accountable to things that you haven't clearly stated. And what happens next, again, leads to culture drift. Lack of clarity leads to misunderstandings misunderstandings that can lead to disagreements over missed goals. A continuation of missed goals over time is inevitably going to lead to some type of performance improvement plan coming into play. That employee as a result would feel anxious. They're probably going to lose confidence. They're worried about losing their job. They're going to have stress. And what happens quite often is it doesn't keep them engaged, it almost pulls them further away. It depends on how the leader is giving that feedback and coaching them. I just would say this, a performance improvement plan is another example of a what I would consider a band-aid fix. They may have short-term benefit or upturn, but they don't tend to have staying power because more often than not, there's actually a larger issue looming. So as a result, that employee is going to express their frustration or anger inappropriately. They may complain about their manager, whine about uh, other people who are on their team, uh, talk about poor leadership in the company. And that's with people outside of the company. In a small market, that could actually hurt your potential workforce, which is another result of culture drift. You know, employees will stop looking for ways to improve and they'll just resort to just doing what the boss wants because they don't feel valued or appreciated. They'll show up for work, but they're not given their best. And then culture drift is is the is the sneaky thing. It tends to sneak its way into your organization like a thief in the night and it seeks to steal time. It'll steal opportunity. It'll steal potential and definitely money.
you know, in the scenario here that we was just talking about with these sales, what's happening in is the manager is failing to develop that sales representative by listening to them, to their concerns, to their ideas, and helping them improve. Don't miss this. When people don't feel appreciated or they don't feel valued or that they're growing, they're going to look to move on. And losing good people is a direct result of culture drift. We can look up and down the org chart and see pockets where both bad but also good culture drift is happening. Are you looking for the good? Great managers and great employees also drive culture drift, but they drive it up, not down. They create growth. They come up with new ideas. They look for ways to improve systems or processes. They ask smart questions and they work to find solutions to problems. And ultimately, they're taking personal responsibility for performance. Business and business owners and executives, they love when that happens. Now, as a consultant, that's actually a place that I love to start. I begin looking for what's going well. I learn why it's going well, and then I work with managers to replicate it. And in doing that process, I'm gathering tremendous insights about their true DNA, their company's DNA. So I discovered these individual traits and qualities that are driving positive things in the company, positive change, and I record it, I document it, and then I'm sharing it. In fact, I'm learning things that they have either forgotten or they maybe didn't even know about their culture. And this discovery process gives me the ability to help them lead to excellence instead of getting mired in the ruts of mediocrity. So if you're a leader, you might be sitting here thinking, what can I do? I'm going to give you some tips today. I'm going to give you six. Here are six things that you can do this week that are free. They cost you nothing to discover the real company culture, the real culture of your company. And no, it is not an engagement survey. (laughs) Here's the first thing. You could do this this week. Schedule blocks of time to do a walkabout. Put it on your calendar. And when you go do that walkabout, you're going to look for these five things. So here's number two. Who has a consistently positive attitude? Be looking for that. You know why this is such a huge thing is, is because people don't want to work with grumps and naysayers. They want to work with positive people. Number three, you're going to look for who do others go to for help? You know, these individuals are really valuable in your company. For whatever reason, they have created this aura of being able, uh, in, you know, and in inviting others to be able to come to them. And they fill in a lot of the gaps between an employee and a, and a supervisor or a manager. Number four, when you're going out in these blocks of time, look for who's walking with energy and purpose. And that is an important distinction there. Because I want you to be careful because some people, they've mastered the art of faking productivity by looking busy. So don't get fooled. That's what I'm saying is look for who walks and moves and, and just has energy and purpose purpose in what they do. Number five, look for the person that's doing something uniquely better. In the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, 
Will Smith's character, uh, he played Chris Gardner. Again, this is a true story. One of my favorite movies of all time. And he came up with a method to save time between phone calls when he is fighting against I don't know, a hundred other people for a for one role. Uh, he came up with this method to save time between phone calls, which gave him the ability to do more calls per hour. More calls per hour led to more potential um, contracts. So who's the person that's doing something uniquely better? Sometimes they're not going to be a champion of themselves because they don't want to they don't come across as chest thumping or being arrogant or look at me, I, I've done this really cool thing. Sometimes they kind of sit on it Maybe they don't even realize that it's a big uh, time saver or efficiency producer. So look for that. Now, number six, and this one is what I would call an insider tips. You're getting a good one here. I want you to use those blocks of time. And when you're doing your walkabout, ask the question, who would you want to train a new hire for any job in this department? What you're looking for are insights into what... or into who the team respects as the leader, even if they don't have an official leadership role. When you ask that question, who would you want to train? Uh, If we brought somebody else in, it's going back and it's looking at people that are doing something uniquely better, they have energy and purpose, uh, are open to have others help, you know, to give help, positive attitudes. So here's what you want to do with this information that you're gathering. I want you to take notes. I want you to take deep notes. Uh, They could be voice notes. They could be notebook notes, whatever works for you. But take notes about what you're finding. And don't just lean on those five things on your walkabout. What you're going to do is uh, I want you to look for ways to learn so much more by just observing and then asking questions and then listening. Don't ask a question if you're not willing to listen. Now, by the way, uh, don't make the mistake of just asking your happy employees, your engaged employees, your favorite employees, the nice ones. <laughs> Ask the ones who are also the, your loudest critics. You can't learn what you need to know if you get only one side and you're only getting the positive, hey, everything is rainbows and unicorns. You can't learn all that you need to know. And what you're going to find is that the happy people and your critical people are going to point you pretty much in the same direction, but but you're going to see it from different sides and you may learn differences about urgency or importance. And it's a great place to focus on. Now, remember that your culture exists whether you're paying attention to it or not. So become great at a few things. If you're a leader, become great at setting expectations. Become great at your ability to be excellent at giving both constructive feedback as well as praise. Man, catch somebody doing something good this week. It'll change the way they think about you. Learn how to motivate each person on your team. Not everybody uh, is motivated the same way. If you're too harsh with the wrong person, they'll shut down. It'll go the wrong way. And if you're too soft on the person that needs a kick in the rear, it's probably not going to work either. So learn. Learn about them. And I want you to challenge yourself to get crystal clear in your communication. When you mean three, say three, not a few. I wrote something on my client's uh, whiteboard in their, their, they have this really fancy, um, uh, beautiful uh, meeting room, conference room. And I wrote this uh, statement on their whiteboard as they were coming into the meeting. 
It's all about the little things. And that's absolutely true. Everything I've been talking about in this podcast, culture drift is going to happen, not just because of big things like rapid and unexpected changes, kind of like the last two and a half years showed us, but culture drift happens when we don't pay attention to the little things, the easy things, because what's easy to do is also easy not to do. I'm James Mayhew, and I help businesses become high-performance workplaces by helping them attract, develop, and hold on to great people, giving them a, a pipeline of future leaders, and getting everyone working together efficiently and effectively without drama. Remember, having conversations with others creates clarity for both of you, and that clarity gives you confidence. It gives you permission and authority to take action on the most important work. And then that action drives your results. I want to thank you for being here and I'll see you next time on Lead to